Chapter thirty seven of Diana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Diana by Susan Warner. Chapter thirty seven. At one. They returned to Pleasant Valley that day, and Basil was immediately plunged in arrears of business. For the present, Diana had to attend to her mother, whose conversation was anything but agreeable, after she learned that her son in law had accepted the call to Mainbridge. Ministers are made of stuff like very common people, she declared. Everyone goes where he can get the most. You know Mr. Masters has plenty already, mother, plenty of his own. Those that have most already are always the ones that want more. I've seen that a thousand times. If a man's property lies in an onion, he'll likely give you half of it if you want it. If he's got all Pleasant Valley, the odds are he won't give you an onion. Diana would have turned the conversation, but Mrs. Starling came back to the subject. What do you suppose you are going to do with me? Mother, that is for you to choose. You know, wherever we are, there's a home for you, if you will have it. It's a pleasure to your husband to have me too, ain't it? It is always a pleasure to him to do what is right. Complimentary. You have grown very fond of him, haven't you, all of a sudden? But this subject Diana would not touch, not to her mother, not to any one, till the person most concerned knew the truth, and most certainly after that, not to any one else. Evan had been told, there had been a reason. She was glad she had told him. What do you suppose I'd do in Mainbridge? Mrs. Starling went on. There is plenty to do, mother. It is because there is so much to do that we are going. Dressing and giving parties. I always knew your husband held himself above our folks. He'll be suited there. This tried Diana. It was so very far from the truth. She fled the field. It was often the safest way. But she was very sorry for her mother. She went to Basil's study, where now no one was, and sat down by the window that looked into the garden. There Rosie presently caught sight of her, came to her, and climbed up into her lap. And for a good while the two entertained one another, the child going on in wandering sweet prattle, while the mother's thoughts, though she answered her, kept a deeper current of their own all the while. She was pondering as she sat there and smelled the roses in the garden, and talked to the small rose in her lap. She was pondering what she should do to let her husband know what she now knew about herself. One would say the simplest way would be to tell him. But Diana, with all her simplicity and sweetness, had a New England nature, and though she could speak frankly enough when spoken to, on this or any other subject, she shrank from volunteering revelations that were not expected of her, revelations that were so intimate, and belonged to her very inner self, and that concerned, besides, so vitally her relations with another person, even though that person were her husband. At the mere thought of doing it, the color stirred uneasily in Diana's face. Why could not Basil divine? Looking out into the garden, both mother and child, and talking very busily, one of them, thinking very busily the other, neither of them heard Basil come in. Where's Papa? Rosie was at the moment asking, in a tone sufficiently indicating that in her view of things he had been gone long enough. Not very far off. Was the answer close behind them? Rosie started and threw herself round towards her father, and Diana also started and looked up, and in her face, not less than in the little one, there was a flash and a flush of sudden pleasure. 
Basil stooped to put his lips to Rosie's, and then, reading more than he knew in Diana's eyes, he carried the kiss to her lips also. It was many a day since he had done the like, and Diana's face flushed more and more. But Basil had taken up Rosie in his arms, and was interchanging a whole harvest of caresses with her. Diana turned her looks towards the garden, and felt ready to burst into tears. Could it be that he was proud, and intended to revenge upon her the long avoidance to which in days past she had treated him? Not like what she knew of Mr. Masters, and Diana was aware she was unreasonable, but it was sore and impatient at her heart, and she wanted to be in Rosie's place. And Basil, the while, was thinking whether by his unwanted caress he had grieved or distressed his wife. He touched her shoulder gently, and said, "'Forgive me.' "'Forgive you what?' said Diana, looking round. "'My taking an indulgence that perhaps I should not have taken.' "'You are very much mistaken, Basil,' said Diana, rising. Her voice trembled and her lips quivered. She thought he was rather cruel now. "'But I have troubled you?' he said, looking earnestly at her. Diana hesitated, and the quiver of her lips grew more uncontrollable. "'Not in the way you think,' she answered. "'How, then?' he asked gently. "'But I have troubled you. How, Di?' The last two words were spoken with a very tender, gentle accentuation, and they broke Diana down. She laid one hand on her husband's arm, and the other with her face in it on his shoulder, and burst into tears. I do not know what there is in the telegraphy of touch and look and tone, but something in the grip of Diana's hand, and in her action altogether, wrought a sudden change in Basil, and brought a great revelation— he put his little girl down out of his arms, and took his wife in them. And for minutes there was no word spoken, and Rosie was too much astonished at the strange, motionless hush they maintained to resent at first her own dispossession, and the great slight which had been done her. There had come a honey-bee into the room by mistake, and not finding there what he expected to find, he was flying about and about, trying in vain to make his way to something more in his line than books and the soft buzz of the creature was the only sound to be heard, till Rosie began to complain. She did not know what to make of the utter stillness of the two figures beside her, who stood like statues, was furthermore not a little jealous of seeing what she considered her own prerogative, usurped by another, and finally began an importunate petitioning to be taken up again. But Rosie's voice, never neglected before, was not heard to-day, Neither of them heard it. The consciousness that was nearest was overpowering, and barred out every other. "'Diana,' said Basil, at last in a whisper, and she looked up, all flushed and trembling, and did not meet his eyes. Neither did she take her hand from his shoulder. They had not changed their position. "'Diana, what are you going to say to me?' "'Haven't I said it?' she answered, with a moment's glance and smile, and then between smiles and tears her head sank again. "'Why did you never tell me before?' he said, with a breath that was almost a sob, and at the same time had a somewhat imperative accent of demand in it. "'I did not know myself.' "'And now?' "'Now?' repeated Diana, half laughing. "'Yes, now. What have you got to tell me?' "'Do you want me to tell you what you know already?' "'You have told me nothing, and I do not feel that I know anything till you have told me,' he said in a lighter tone. 
"'Hello, Rosie, what's the matter?' For Rosie, seeing herself entirely to all appearance supplanted, had now broken out into open lamentations, too heartfelt to be longer disregarded. Diana gently released herself, and stooped down and took the child up, perhaps glad of a diversion. But Rosie instantly stretched out her arms imploringly to go to her father. "'I was jealous of her a little while ago,' Diana remarked as the exchange was made. But at that word... Basil set the child, scarcely in his arms, out of them again on the floor, and folding Diana in them anew, paid her some of the long arrear of caresses so many a day withheld. Ay, it was the first time he had known he might without distressing her, and no doubt lips can do no more silently to reveal a passion of affection than these did then. If Basil had had a revelation made to him, perhaps so did Diana. But I hardly think Diana was surprised. She knew something of the depths and the contained strength in her husband's character. But it is safe to say she would never be jealous of Rosie again. Not anything like these demonstrations had ever fallen to Rosie's share. Anything, meanwhile, prettier than Diana's face it would be difficult to see. Flushing like a girl, her lips wreathing with smiles, teardrops hanging on the eyelashes still, but with flashes and sparkles coming and going in the usually quiet gray eyes. Dispossessed Rosie on the floor, meanwhile looked on in astonishment so great that she even forgot to protest. Basil looked down at her at last and laughed. "'Rosie has had a lesson,' he said, picking her up. "'She will know her place henceforth. "'Come, Di, sit down and talk to me. How came this about?' "'I don't know, Basil,' said Diana meekly. "'Where did it begin?' "'I don't know that, either.' Oh, begin? I think the beginning was very long ago, when I learned to honor you so thoroughly. Honor is very cold work. Don't talk to me about honor, said Basil. I have fed and supped on honor, and felt very empty. Well, you have had it, said Diana contentedly. Go on. When did it change into something else? It has not changed, said Diana mischievously. When did you begin to give me something better? Do you know, Basil, I cannot tell. I was not conscious myself of what was going on in me. When? Perhaps, since soon after I came home from Clifton. It had not begun then. How soon it began after, I cannot tell. It was so gradual. When did you discover a change? I felt it. I hardly discovered it. A good while ago, I think. But I did not in the least know what it was. I wished. Basil, it is very odd and the color rose in Diana's cheeks. I wished that I could love you. The minister smiled, and there was a suspicious drop in his eyes, which, I think to hide, he stooped and kissed Rosie. Go on. When did you come to a better understanding? I don't think I recognized it until— I told Mother, not a great while ago, that I cared for nobody in the world but you. But that was different. I meant something different. I do not think I recognized it fully— until, you will think me very strange, until I saw Evan Knowlton. And then, said Basil, with a quick look at his wife, Diana's eyes were dreamily going out of the window, and her lips wore the rare smile which had vexed Evan, and which he himself had never seen on them before that day. Then he ventured to remind me that, once, it was not true. What, said Basil, laughing, your mother makes very confused statements, Rosie. 
He was mortified, I think, that I did not seem to feel more at seeing him, and then he dared to remind me that I had married a man I did not. Diana left the word unspoken. And then? That I knew all of a sudden that he was mistaken, that if it had been true once it was true no longer. I told him so. Told him? echoed her husband. I told him. He will make that mistake no more. Then pray, why did you not tell the person most concerned? I could not. I thought you must find it out of yourself. How did he take your communication? Basil, human nature is a very strange thing. I think, do you know, I think he was sorry. Poor fellow, said Basil. Can you understand it? I am afraid I can. You may say, poor fellow, but I was displeased with him. He had no right to care, at least to be anything but glad. It was wrong. He had no right. No, but you have fought a fight, my child, which few fight and come off with victory. It was not I, Basil, said Diana softly. It was the power that bade the sea be still. I never could have conquered. Never. Let us thank him. And it was you that led me to trust in him, Basil. You told me that anything I trusted Christ to do for me, he would do it. And I saw how you lived, and I believed first because you believed. Basil was silent. His face was very grave and very sweet. I am rather disappointed in Evan, said Diana, after a pause. I shall always feel an interest in him. But do you know, Basil, he seems to me weak. I knew that a long while ago. I knew it two years ago. but I would not recognize it. Then, leaving her place, she knelt down beside her husband and laid her head on his breast. Oh, Basil, if I can ever make it up to you. Hush, said he, we will go and make things up to those mill workers in Mainbridge. There was a long pause, and then Diana spoke again, spoke slowly. Do you know, Basil, the mill owners in Mainbridge seemed to me to want something done for them. Quite as much as the mill workers. I make the charge of that over to you. Me, said Diana. Why not? What do you want me to do for them? What do you think they need? Basil, they do not seem to me to have the least idea, not an idea, of what true religion is. They would be very much astonished to hear you say so. But is it not true? You would find every wealthy community more or less like Mainbridge. Would I? That does not alter the case, Basil. No. Do you think things are different here in Pleasant Valley? Diana pondered. I think they do not seem the same, she said. People, at least, would not be shocked if you told them here what Christian living is, and there are some who know it by experience. No doubt, so there are in the Mainbridge church. Though it may be we shall find them among the most. Though it may be we shall find them most among the poor people. But what is it you want me to do, Basil? Show them what a life lived for Christ is. We will both show them. But in my case, people lay it off largely on the bond of my profession. Then, when we have shown them for a while what it is, we can speak of it with some hope of being understood. Has anything special come to the Dominie? Mrs. Starling asked that evening, when after prayers the minister had gone to his study. Why, mother? He seems to have a great deal of thanksgiving on his mind. That's nothing very uncommon in him, said Diana, smiling. 
"'What's happened to you?' inquired their mother next, eyeing her daughter with curious eyes. "'Why do you ask?' "'I don't do things commonly without a reason. When folks roll their words out like butter, I like to know what's to pay.' "'I cannot imagine what manner of speech that can be,' said Diana, amused. "'Well, it was yourn just now, and it was your husband's half an hour ago.' "'I suppose,' said Diana, gravely now, "'that when people feel happy, it makes their speech flow smoothly.' "'And you feel happy?' said Mrs. Starling, with a look as sharp as an arrow. "'Yes, mother, I do.' "'What about?' Diana hesitated, and then answered, with a kind of sweet solemnity, "'All earth and all heaven.' Mrs. Starling was silenced for a minute." "'By all earth, I suppose you mean me to understand things in the future. "'And things in the past. "'Everything that ever happened to me, mother, has turned out for good.' "'Mrs. Starling looked at her daughter, and saw that she meant it. "'The ways of the world,' she muttered scornfully, "'are too queer for anything.' "'But Diana let the imputation lie. "'They went to Mainbridge. "'Not Mrs. Starling, but the others.' and you may think of them as happy, with both hands full of work. They live in a house just a little bit out of the town, where there is plenty of ground for gardens, and the air is not poisoned with smoke or vapor. Roses and honeysuckles flourish as well here as in Pleasant Valley. Laburnums are here, too, dropping fresh gold every year, and there are banks of violets and beds of lilies, and in the springtime crocuses and primroses and hyacinths and snowdrops and chrysanthemums and asters, and all sorts of splendors and sweetnesses in the fall. For even Diana's flowers are not for herself alone, nor even for her children alone, whose special pleasure in connection with them is to make nosegays for sick and poor people, and to cultivate garden plots in order to have the more to give away. And not Diana's roses and honeysuckles are sweeter than the fragrance of her life which goes through all Mainbridge, Rich and poor look to that house as a point of light and center of strength. To the poor it is, besides, a treasury of comfort. There is no telling the change that has been wrought already in the place. It is as Basil meant it should be, and knew it would be. It is as it always is, when the box is broken at Christ's feet. The house is filled with the odor of the ointment. End of chapter 37 End of Diana by Susan Warner